142 of the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. Another week of Super Rugby and what a week it was. Some fantastic results and none better than the Forces win over the Waratahs. And we've got Ben again joining us from Perth. How are you going, Ben? You're enjoying this streak of yours, this ever-going streak of yours? I'm in a dream, mate, and I don't want it to end. It's fantastic. So, yeah, it's, it's great to finally uh, see the boys getting a win and uh, hopefully it continues this week. Absolutely. Well, we've got a very special guest with us today, and straight out of the gates, we've got Mark Cinderbury, the CEO of the Western Force, joins us tonight. Mark, thanks very much for your time. Good evening. I hope you're both well. We are indeed, and, and you must be well. And what is the feeling over there in head office over in the in the West there? You guys must be on top of the world, feeling very positive? Yeah, everybody is feeling very positive, and you know, winning, uh, winning has, a, has a wonderful effect on people, and uh, I'm just so excited for the any number of people here, you know, the staff, the board, uh, a lot of people have put a, a lot of work in over the years, and obviously for the fans as well. It's it's it's, it's delight, really really exciting, and it's starting to come together. It's great, and it's quite remarkable. And I, you know, I'm a Queensland fan. You beat us last week, and a lot of Waratah fans read the site, and you obviously beat them, and and you you've done the Rebels and so on. And it hurts when you beat us, but everyone's got this, I don't want to call it a soft spot, because that sounds rather patronising, but everyone's real, actually really quite enthused to see the force performing and, and playing the rugby they do. So uh, whether you're ever on second team, but it's that feeling is across the country at the moment. Are you getting that over there? Do you feel that the uh, a bit of support from across the other side of the country? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 it, and it's certainly appreciated, and it's... Uh... It's a pleasant thought that there's been some recognition of, um, you know, just how important uh, the Western Force are to the growth of rugby in Australia. And um, the, the, it's not a good situation for, for any of us to, you know, have, have uh, a weak team and, and have a really strong conference. What we've got is, is, is just really good for rugby and, and rugby in Australia and everything that goes forward for. Uh, but, you know, as I say, there's been a lot of people here in this organisation uh, who've got a lot of hard work in, and it's starting to come to fruition and I'm really excited for them. Um, and I, I think we'll particularly mention he's got to go to Michael Foley. Um, quite outstanding what he's done and, and, you know, that I saw a lot of the work that went in last year in trying to build a group of players and, and then, you know, how that's further developed this year and, and just seeing a group that, that's starting to come to grips with what might be possible um, and, and what, you know, each week they, they understand a little bit more about where they're going and, and, and say what might be possible in the future with them. Oh, that's exciting. And Mark, I want to I take you back a bit. I, mean, uh, I think most people will be familiar with your background in the game of rugby at, at least and in terms of your, your role with the Brumbies there and then you, you saw them to success, uh, I think it was it 2001 you guys won the, the Super Rugby? Yeah. Um, and then obviously went across to Saracens and, and had some success. I think there was four years or so of semi-final appearances. What's the role of a CEO? What role do you play on the on-field success? Do you have a role in the on-field success? What's your capacity? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, I think um, one of the things that you'd like to push is... is the organisation is a huge interdependency. Um, 
within the organisation in terms of from the professional team, our community and our supporters. And without one of those not supporting the other two, then and and recognising the importance of the other two, then then you know you just don't get success or you don't get sustainable success. So um, you know there's there's lots of you know theories about why teams are successful and everything else. I, I think the the best lesson I've learned is is that you have very clear uh, roles. You're a, you know a chairman's got a very clear role. You're a CEO's got a very clear role, and you've got a head coach's got a very clear role, and likewise you've got a captain. And uh, they're you know, that, that, that four, if you like, uh, are actually critical to, to the success of uh, and, and sustainable success of any organisation. Excellent. So you've talked about Foley before and, and you mentioned the, the, the success points in your organisation, your chairman and your captain. I, I think we'd all understand the relationship you have with your chairman, as any good corporate entity would, but tell us about your relationship with the head coach and Michael Foley, obviously, in this, this uh, situation. How closely do you work with Foles on, on any matter of issues around the force? Well, certainly, you know, his, his role is very much about running the team and the coaching staff, and that's you know a whole division that, that he runs. Um, we're here to support him, um, and obviously, within that, you know, he has certain aspirations about what he needs in terms of resources, and uh, also uh, he, he he shares with us the direction and of where he wants to go with the team and and what the progress and the milestones are that we're looking for. So, um, you know, that, that's, that relationship there is obviously very important. Um, and it, it's sort of, you know, dare I say, we work alongside each other. It would be a better way to look at it. Sure. Yeah, just on the recruiting, I guess, it's pretty well known that the force has sort of struggled in the last few years to attract track players from from the East Coast and, and, and this year and, and last year as well there's a look to sort of overseas with the AU now granting more uh, more development spots and, and marquee spots is that something that you sort of see as a short term fix or is it something that you want to really use as a point of difference for the club and really drive the, into the future I guess I, I think there's a number of parts to that. Firstly it was a very significant step that the AU recognised uh, and, and agreed to our, our um, I guess our lobbying to say, look, this needs to change and we need to have greater access to, to external markets. Um, the, the, the reasons, if you like, that, you know, what we were seeing as to why players would come here were not necessarily strong reasons to build a club on. We also, it was very important that we, we had a very strong pathway and a local, uh, flavour to the team and, and so we were deliberately had, had, uh, uh, sort of tried to, tried to recruit those players that had a history in Perth. Um, what we've got to also see about is about bringing these foreign players is that it's actually building the depth of Australian rugby. And, you know, someone like, uh, an Albie Matheson is, is providing great value in that, you know, he is challenging the other Australian halfbacks to be better players. And that's a very useful process. Um, and, you know, we've seen that, you know, the way, you know, the force played Queensland, uh, and New South Wales, you know that that's a that's a very very important uh, component to the development of Australian rugby in total. And I, I guess what I'd like people to recognise is, you know, this where we're going with these foreign players will ultimately help these guys. Uh, not in Albie because he's played Test matches, but other players will definitely be eligible for Australia in the coming years. And and that's a good thing for Australian rugby. We're we're, we're building 
the depth in a number of positions. Uh, in terms of the future, I think we will just have to see where it goes. Um, I can certainly see a time that um, we won't have as many players who we recruit directly from uh, outside of Australia, but there will still be a number that um, you know have, have, have learnt their rugby elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I guess with, with the having five or six foreign players in the team, it then gives 25, 30 other Australian people, Australian players a chance to play top top class rugby, which is which is only good for the development of Australian rugby for the for the force and and the Wallabies. Just just on on Albie Matthewson, I guess he, he's he's our marquee player, and and they've got a a two year contract, I think it is. Um, is there a view? Are we trying to sort of get him again for the next couple of years, or, or that the discussions are happening with with him and, and the ARU, I guess. Yeah, that, 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 absolutely. That those discussions are going on at the moment, and. Uh... Uh, you know, we're, we're looking at ways. There's some precedents about players playing a third year, uh, but we're also going to be mindful of, of what uh, Albie wants to do and, and his aspirations. So um, let's just say we're very, very keen to keep him here in the West. Mark, you talk about um, the, I guess, the strategy and the, the tactic around recruitment of these these overseas players. I'm sure some will, will go on and, and play, or hopefully will play for Australia, or at least become eligible for Australia. And, there's no doubt that that Albie and Sars Everson have played a, a, a fantastic role for the the force, particularly this year, but but also last year. But this year, I think we've probably seen more than ever uh, local players coming through. No, not all of them have, have got a start yet, but you've got your Longbottoms, your uh, Holmeses, your Hale Perrys, and and the list goes on. You are expanding your 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 homegrown talent there, aren't you? What sort of role are the force playing in that development through the system? Yeah, I, look, you know, and, and for me, you know, as a, as a club over the last eight years, uh, we've had a very low winning record at home, and I, I honestly believe that's got to do with um, a whole lot of issues around homegrown players. Um, we're, you know, so delighted that, you know, we've got six or seven in the program now. We can see another three players that have involved this round of 20s that will come into our program in the next year. Um, and you know, more and more of the players are settling here on an ongoing basis. So, um, you know, that 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 whole idea that you know the players are playing in front of their home crowd, and I, and I don't think we could say that in the past. Yeah, yeah I, I read with interest uh, about your time from Saracens, where you had a real passion for the grassroots rugby and local rugby, and, and you're very successful uh, setting up the academy there. I think you've brought that with you now. With you've started to establish the Future Force program along with Mickey Arthur. Could you? Probably tell us a bit of that and, and how you see that as a vital for, for the club going forward. Yeah, this is this is a really exciting program and, and something I, I believe is going to have a, a really lasting impact on the organisation. Um, again, it, it's this, this this real the reality of, of the local number of local players that are you know generally can come through from our local competition and then trying to to avoid this this ongoing recruitment. Uh, from, from elsewhere that we face. So we're looking at a, um, a program whereby we can uh, fund, if you like, and, and funding is the key part of this, and, and put players, uh, recruit players from, from wherever, and, and particularly uh, within Western Australia, and put them into full-time programs um, where they're getting a good balance of uh, either education or vocational training, but they're also getting the experience of being a full-time athlete. And, and that really provides a bridging uh, program for them from their academies into 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 the force and, and obviously with the, the national competition now starting we've got the ideal player pathway that, that most probably wasn't there in the past 
for a lot of these boys. Um, we're also able to strategically identify that where the gaps are in our roster in, in three to five years, and, and that provides us uh, some, some guidance and, uh, about the type of players that we need to recruit going forward. But can I just jump in there? Ben mentioned Mickey Arthur being, I assume he's got an overseas role uh, in, in that structure. What, what was Mickey Arthur, What did Mickey Arthur bring to the table? We all obviously all know Mickey from his cricket coaching uh, career. What, what did he bring? What did he attract to you to, to come to the Bulls? Well, Mickey, Mickey is very highly regarded in West Australia and, and clearly still got a very strong South African um, uh, connection. And, and he, he understands high-performance organisations. And, uh, yes, he hasn't got a strong background in rugby, but being like most South Africans, he's got a huge passion for it. So he, he brings into us a, an opportunity to focus on the future. You know, most of our coaching staff are, are focused on you know, the, coming, the coming week, if not next year. And, and Mickey gets to look at you know where we are in three to three to five years time, and and they're bound to to oversee if you like the structures and, and um, of, of how players are going to develop them and and that environment and looking at you know their, their physical development, their rugby development, and um, and their, their, their welfare if you like or their off field activities and just getting the the balance across those things um, and then being a mentor for a lot of these younger players as, as they come into the program where. The other big advantage for us is it helps to increase the standard of our local competition uh, with more players uh, who are coming in and that, that, that connection then with the local competition gets stronger and stronger. Uh, and I guess the next big uh, big, big development in, in player in the player uh, is the uh, the advent of the NRC and the reintroduction of the, the Perth Spirit, I guess. And you can only see that as a, as a plus for the, for the players. This is just a, a fantastic opportunity for Australian rugby generally, and, and it's a great initiative that the Australian Rugby Union have led, and, and something that we're really, really 100% uh, behind. Um, I mean, for many years we've all recognised this, this growing gap between, uh, effectively, what is amateur rugby and, and professional rugby, and, and you know, in order to be competitive on the world stage, this stepping stone is, is just vital. It's also really important that Australian rugby supported it by ensuring that. Uh, besides our test matches, it's the only rugby on at the time. So it's it's uh, one of the big advantages or the big steps forward over the ARC that it, it won't be competing at the same time as, as Sydney Club Rugby and Brisbane Club Rugby. It will be a standalone and have its own window of, of opportunity to, to shine. Uh, sorry, Mark, is there much, has there been discussion about what that structure of the Perth team will be? Will that be something controlled by your organisation? Will it effectively be the force minus uh, your, I would suggest, ever-increasing number of Wallabies uh, committed, but uh, is that the effective model? Yeah, look, it, it's a little bit more involved than that. It's certainly, uh, you know, the fact is that Rugby WA will be under, underwriting and supporting that uh, that program. Um, we will see that as an important pathway for players, um, you know, emerging from our academy and our Future Force program. To, to make that transition uh, through through into professional rugby, so we will have a good mixture of existing contracted players and up and coming players. Um, so you know we, we'd certainly see the same in terms of coaching staff. Um, we basically all we've structured this. We intend to structure it in a way that everybody will take a step up. So. Um, um, as much as I'll get to oversee it, Michael will oversee the coaching side of it, um, and then other coaches will, will step up, you know, respectively in each of their roles uh, as, as an opportunity, you know, 
because this is another part of what, what's important here is the opportunity to see more coaches in particular in, in head role positions. Absolutely. I want to take another step back quickly. Ben and yourself talked previously about you, the academy structure you set up at Saracens and how it's almost being replicated or developed back over here. Similarly, you oversaw Saracens, I think, evolution into uh, private ownership. Is that correct? Is that a model you think has any legs in Australia? Australian rugby yeah, look, Saracens have always been, um, since the game went professional in the UK, the clubs have always been privately owned. And it is a real point of distinction that, in terms of how we run rugby here in Australia and in the UK, that uh, the role there is, is very much about looking after a professional team. What happens here, of course, is we run all of rugby in the state. Now, strategically, we found it very important. We are in Saracens to make sure that all the local rugby clubs are engaged with what we were doing, and uh, they are our natural supporter base. And I come back to this really strong interdependence between our commercial aspirations, the team's aspirations, and our, our uh, rugby participation, and, and the, the interdependence of those three, three activities uh, are what drive a successful union. Um, where Saracens, much probably the development was uh, is a really interesting one because in the very early years of professional rugby they had a very good uh, academy. Unfortunately, what happened over the years for a variety of reasons, it's fell away and we were able to reinvigorate it in a number of ways to uh, to get it producing and, and to see the number of boys there that, you know, the likes of Owen Fowles and uh, uh, those sorts of guys coming through uh, is just fantastic and, and they've got a great balance, Saracens now, between sort of foreign players and, and outstanding young English players. Yeah, excellent. Another of the initiatives I want to talk to you, you've innovated in a number of areas this year, and, and I guess this next, next one is almost innovation by necessity, was the jersey sponsorship structure. And I must admit that I'll put my hand up and say when I, it first came up that you're, you're selling, is it 23 separate jersey sponsorships, that I laughed at the idea or scoffed at the idea, but it's, it's fair to say it's been a bit of a roaring success for you, is that correct? Yeah, look, and, and you know, success is measured in, in many different ways. And, and again, you know, we can't underestimate the impact that the team has had on us being able to develop this commercial program. But the exciting thing for us as an organisation is we've got another 15 new partners who are really engaged and excited yeah. by their association uh, with, with uh, Western Force. And um, it's, it's just the extent of that involvement has sort of surprised us and delighted us at the same time. Um, and it, it's... Uh, yeah, it's something we're really seriously now considering taking forward. Brilliant, that's great. Just, do you have anything? Yeah, I just had a bit of a question just on the jerseys, I guess. I'll probably get in trouble from a lot of force fans if I didn't ask it. But just with uh, the away jerseys, is there any view to maybe go back to the old black and gold jersey back in from the early days of the club and, and move away from the white? Well, uh, no, look, I, I think the black and gold jersey will... will, will We'll keep specifically for the, the spirit. Uh, for the spirit, um, we, we yeah, next year is our tenth year, and we've got lots of plans underway as to how we recognise those ten years. And um, certainly, the black and gold is something which should be acknowledged in, in the history of, of the organisation, um, um, and, and we'll certainly bring that into floor. But um, primarily, you know, we're going to keep the sea of blue, and it's a very important uh, concept for us. Um, Mark, uh, just, well, let's just jump back on the field. You've obviously got the Rebels this week. Uh, a few injuries from last week, and the team will be announced when it's announced, I guess. But what's the feeling in the squad? You're still positive? You're heading uh, east, still feeling confident of a win? Look, I think this is the exciting thing about this group, but you know, every week 
learning more and more and, and, and you know, Michael's quite right to say that you know each week this team works harder and harder and, and understand the results they get and what it takes to be successful. Um, we go to the Rebels, uh, the Rebels this week and we know it's no different. It, it will require us to be the same level of intensity as we were playing New South Wales last week and uh, that's you know, the exciting thing about the competition, you know, if you're not, not on one week, then, you know, you're going to come unstuck. Um, it's, it's, it's really been incredibly impressive at just how, how the force have uh, come together and, and playing as, you know, having a, a real unity of purpose, if you like, on the team. And, and I think we all know that, you know, in terms of funding and talent and all those sorts of things, that uh, uh, there are some inequities around, you know, the way that talent is distributed within Australian rugby, and it's just a full credit to, to the playing and the coaching staff as to how the team is progressing. That, yeah, that's brilliant. I, uh, I note Heath uh, Tessman has just tweeted that um, <laughs> you guys, I think a bit of a strategic ploy, had Andrew Gaze present the jerseys tonight. Melbourne's probably most famous and, and one of their best ever athletes present the Western Forces jerseys in the lead up to the Melbourne Rebels game. So nice little we'll strike that up as a Foley win from the start, hey? <laughs> All right, Mark. Well, look, thanks very much for time. We'll, we'll let you get back to your undoubted uh, uh, desk with plenty of activities you've got to get cleared. Um, wish you all the very best of luck this week, but also to the team and for the rest of the season where, like I said, we really enjoy watching the force play and we wish them every success and the strength of the Australian conference continues to grow. Great. And keep up the good work. The green and gold is fantastic what you guys are doing. Mark Cinderberry, CEO from the Force, great interview. Ben, you got a lot of that, mate. He's uh, it seems like a very switched-on character. Yeah, absolutely. He's got uh, he's he's been only in the job now just under 18 months, and, and he seems to have sort of almost turn turn the place around, I guess, with him and, and Foley and, and Hodgson. So yeah, hopefully, it just continues to to build, and and they're going to have a great season and, and a great future. Yeah. Well, let's talk about their success and their success last week. And joining us now is. Matt down there in Sydney, how are you going, Gags? Good, mate. Good. Good to be on. Excellent. And we've got Steve in Canberra joining us too. How are you going, Steve? Pretty good, thanks. How are you guys? Going very well, thank you. We're going to talk now about uh, getting into some of these games. And the first one is that Western Force win over the Waratahs, 28-16, to with obviously those three great tries to the Honey Badger. Uh, uh, Nick Cummins there. Gaff, what a great match. Well, how was it there at the game? Yeah, the, the the badger getting a bit of meat or triple meat as it's been been known over here. There's a there's a there's a pizza named after him here in Perth, so <laughs> we're, uh, we're we're going nuts over here. So uh, yeah, that that first try was running right at me. I was sitting right behind the goalpost, and and it was fantastic to watch. And and I sat there. I got to about the 70th minute, and I think I tweeted you, Reg, and I said, "Is this actually happening?" Yeah. And and yeah, five in a row. No one, I, I I wouldn't have believed it, and and I don't think anyone else would have would have either. I guess if you told them at the beginning of the year. So it's yeah, it's great. So what was your reading of the game? What was the key to success for from your perspective? Oh, I think you you got to look at the defence, I guess, and and uh, Dave Vessels, the defence coach, really needs to be commended for that. Um, the first two games obviously were, were very very poor uh, in the defensive effort, and and I think they sort of had a had a bit of a chat after that that game and, and after the two first games against the Tars and the Brumbies and, and since then it's just been been massive defence and I think I mentioned it last week I think now they've scored they've only led in seven tries in in five games uh, and and three of those were were when they were one or two men down so yeah there was an article written today about Dave Vessels and his his um, 
his, I guess, uh, influence on the team and on the defensive effort. And I think that's something that they're really priding themselves on. And, and they're using it as a way to build their game. They're not relying on the flashy brilliance. It's all about they build, they get that, that solid base, that defensive base. And then we saw in the weekend, they, they caused the turnovers twice. They caused that turnover from the, from the pressure and the badger was in the corner. Um, and then vice versa with Albie Matthewson, he, they had that pressure built up at the scrum. There were so many turnovers and, and it sort of tired the, the defensive, the, 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 the Tars out, I think. And, and that's sort of how uh, Albie was able to shoot down that blind side through that open gap with the players sort of miranding back to, back to the ruck. And, and, and again, Badger was down in the corner. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Gags, from your perspective, mate, what was the, uh, what's the read? Was it that forced defence or were the Waratahs just not clinical enough? What's, what's your take? Yeah, I, I thought um, I really agreed with what Bob Dwyer had to say uh, this week. Um, I, I thought that the Tars just, well, I don't want to say they made it easy because, I mean, what took me back was when you saw the two teams or the two packs, especially stand side by side, you realise just how big that Tars pack is. I mean, I don't yeah, know if it was... 60 kilos they had on the, on the, the force oh, pack. Oh, there was a Backstreet Boy extra in, in there. Uh, I mean, it, it was it was, you know... Yeah, the, the, what, the, that's for the older listeners, isn't it, Reg? <laughs> I get it, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know if it was the white, you know, because white always makes you look bigger. I don't know what it was, but, geez, they, they just look so much bigger. And I, I couldn't help but feel the Tars thought, oh, we're just going to, you know, we've got no easy, so we're just going to rumble this two off the ruck all night, and we will eventually walk over the top of them. And I thought that, you know, as you were saying, Gaff, you know, pretty much the... The force just said, yeah, fine, do it. Fantastic. Actually, we'll have three great back rowers waiting for you around that corner. And, you know, when you hit the deck, we'll be over the top. And it just happened time after time after time. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was really, really disappointing. The Tars in their first four matches, I don't know if they've got lazy or tired or what it was. But in, a, in, a, in the first half of this half of the season, if that makes sense, one of the things that was great about them was that you know, they would ask all the questions. So off every play, you know, you didn't know if there was going to be an inside ball back to a blindside winger. Um, you know, you didn't know if they were going to rumble it up. You didn't know, you know, there was, you know or if they were going to go really wide, skip wide. You know, you never quite knew, or, you know, if there was a decoy play, quite often they'd hit the guy on the, on the line, right? Um, there was nobody in front of the ball runner, all that sort of stuff. And it's just turned into this lazy, Deans-esque, two men out from the ruck, give it to a big guy and hope that he runs over. And the force just said, thank you very much. So, yeah, that's what was so disappointing about it. And then you looked at all the stats and you said, the only thing missing here from Atar's victory was Izzy Falau because, mm. you know, they had all the territory, they had all their possession, da-da-da, and they just couldn't finish for Toffee. And, um, you know, it was the lack of, you know, well, were they, were they expecting that Falau was going to be the one to, you know, you know, break the drought, and obviously he wasn't there. But you know, is 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 he the guy who's in the game plan that we have to have to break the drought to open the try scoring? And then it comes if it is, and that's really disappointing. So, I think that's why it was kind of such a disappointing game. Yeah, it's interesting. You talk there about um, how perhaps the Waratahs and the size, and they just had this confidence, and they thought they'd all have to do was roll forward and they'd, they'd get the points. It's so evident in that first uh, uh, Cummins try where. The, the Tars were attacking the lines and the big guys were attacking the lines and everyone just thought it was a matter of you know moments before they got over the line and I forget who made the run but I think it was Nathan Charles who made that last big tackle um, right under the post there that knocked him back and then from that ball um, 
Phipps passed it, you know, out and, and Cummins took the took the ball and, and ran all the length of the field. But um, that was very evident there of, of you know the size of, of that that uh, tar pack, but also the the resolute defence from that force team and, and your centres, Ben, you know. Um, uh, Godwin and, and how do you present Mar- pronounce Marcel's back lot, uh, surname? Bracky. Bracky. Uh, the defence of those two I thought was was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think Godwin made 14 tackles and missed two, and and Bracky was about 12 and one. Um, so it, it was a massive effort, and for a brand new partnership, I guess they they'd only come together that previous week, uh, about 20 minutes in against that Reds Reds game when uh, when uh, Junior went down with that broken arm. Um, so yeah, they were, and they were massive. And then also right at the end, it, it was interesting. Uh, Chris uh, Tuatera Morrison came on with about a minute minute to go, and and the game was over one minute to go, and and he he slotted into twelve. Godwin went out one to thirteen, and in the space of sixty seconds, he made three or four big crunching tackles, and and you could forgive him for just sort of letting the game run, and and but no, that he he had something to prove after sitting. Being outside the squad for a year and a half, I guess he's come out and made those those big tackles, and I'm expecting to to get a gig again this week. The other big news from the day was uh, the much talked about issue of uh, Israel Folau getting pulled out by the ARU the day before the game. We'll talk about that in a sec. But the force had it too. Jaden Howard, their fullback, um, pulled out. I think the day of the game, or, or, or close enough to. Uh, I think believe the story was his wife going into labour, then young Dane Petty coming in and playing fullback and playing damn well having played club footy earlier that day. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, yeah. I'm not, not exactly sure what's, what happened with Hayward because it hasn't really been announced, but that's the rumour about his uh, wife going into labour. But he, uh, Dane, Dane Hallett-Petty, yeah, he's interesting. He played um, 60 minutes of club rugby for Cottesloe uh, and then he came off the field and at the end of the game and, and he looked at his phone phone rang and, and uh, it was one of the, the force officials telling him to, to get over to NIB. He's, uh, he's playing, he's starting. So he got there with less than I think uh, an hour till uh, less than an hour to um, to kick off, and uh, yeah, he was straight into it. And I didn't know that that would happen. Then I was watching him. It was probably 45th minute, and, and one of the when the Tars were were pushing for uh, for the try, and, and I saw him go down and and started cramping. I thought, oh, here we go. We've got a dud here. He's he hasn't played for for a year, or hasn't played for a long time for us, and, and 40 minutes he's gone down. Uh, with cramp, and then all of a sudden, at the end, you find out he's played 60 minutes of club rugby, and then another 75 minutes of of, uh, of super rugby. So it was a massive effort from oh, him, and yeah, he played great. What's your reading on the Falao issue? Well, I will swap you a Jaden Hayward for an Israel Falao, <laughs> <laughs> or, or even a Dane, uh, you know, Hayward Pellet. Well, I mean, you know, um, the, the whole thing though is just nuts. So we saw the, and I, I can't, I guess I felt for Link. He's, he was the last guy holding the baby, you know, with that interview. Was it just before the game? And, uh, you know, he had to try and defend the position. But it's just pretty crazy, isn't it? I mean, you know, the, the, the reasons that have been given up, which are that, you know, we pay this, we've paid so much money for this guy. We've, you know, it's all about well, player safety. But, you know, you don't, don't hear about the AU stepping in and stopping anyone else play. Yeah, exactly. Just just the two broken necks. Um, and you had that tweet from Drew Mitchell about if it was a an All Blacks game instead of the Force, where they had pulled him out, which was another interesting view on it. I thought. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, yeah, we all just know it's BS, right? And 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 the other bit is, you know, that no one had talk, even talked to Izzy, right? So, you know, so so you know, 
the, the actual doctor hadn't even seen him or talked to him, but was happy to make a diagnosis. Um, you know, it's just all rubbish. So, you know, the, the TARS, their own doctor and their specialist they'd gone to had seen him, talked to him and said, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, I mean, it wasn't very Bill Pulverish, I didn't think. I thought, you know, I thought we were about, you know, that was a bit John O'Neillish, I thought, actually. So, um, yeah, it was massive BS. I mean, at the end of the day, though, the Taj should be able to play a game of rugby yeah, without, with you know, you one player. Um, and uh, it's pretty I sad that we couldn't. I think they're using that as an excuse. It wasn't the best circumstance, but um, I'm sure they're not using that as an excuse, or the players at least, plenty of supporters are. Um, Steve, what about you from Canberra? What, do you, what was your read on this game? <laughs> Yeah, it was an interesting one. I reckon, like I think Ben's saying before, the defences step up from the earlier rounds. Like you look at the uh, return match in Sydney, where the you know Israel scored a hat trick and leaking tries left, right, and centre after those first two games. They've really tightened up the defence, and they just looked happy to absorb all the pressure that the Waratahs were putting their way. And there was plenty of it. Like some of those uh, Skelton and Potgeeter smashing into the the rucks and and malls and tackles in general, and uh, the force just. Like well, we're happy with this, and some of the big hits they put on them, like Potgator got tipped up once, uh, Ben Robinson got knocked back as well, so they seemed quite happy to do that, and Matt Hodgson was just a, a massive defensive effort from him. Uh, went a long way to setting the win for the, the force, and you know, it only didn't have much of the ball, but it's what you do with it that makes the difference, and just those couple of mistakes from the Waratahs, uh, I think it was uh, the Cummins' second try, just a drop ball, and He's run and scored, and that's the difference on the, at the end of the day. Mm. I mean, can we talk about that, Will Skill? How about his freaking sidestep? In, what is it, 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 like, he was about, I don't know, 10 yeah. minutes in the game or something. And he, he made yeah. that run up the right-hand touchline, and um, he actually sidestepped somebody. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. how, I, think I think his ankle made worse. How can you something that big? Wrestling, but he's, he's a massive man, and, he, and I thought he played pretty well in that game. He made a good impact. Um, you know, his, his repeat... Sets as they say, or backing up after a, uh, an engagement is uh, is going to be his challenge. But uh, he's definitely having an impact on the game. Yeah, I, I thought for me in that game, he went on from, uh, you know, I hate to say this, but he went up there from kind of like size freak yeah. into oh, actually, you can play a bit of rugby. Uh, you know, I, I, that was the first time I'd seen yeah. that in that game. I thought, oh, you never know where this could go. <laughs> Yeah, he sort of work on his, his fitness. I saw at the game, you see what he does off the ball, and there was a lot of walking, a lot of hands on hips, and, and, and he, he did a mountain of work. I think he made 12 carries or something, which is massive for, for any forward, but he did that within the 60 minutes. But And then you sort of see he tapered off towards the end because yeah, he was just running out of steam by the end of it, so he's just got to bump that up if he wants to make the next step, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. Mm. So regardless, it was an important win for the Force. They leapfrogged the Tars. They're now in a fourth spot, and they've actually got one more win up their sleeve than the third-place Chiefs. Chiefs got a couple of extra bonus points there, but look at that, fourth, second on the conference and, and fourth overall. Um, Tars still sitting there in fifth place, so, but a, a great win for the Force and they're five in a row going for six this weekend versus the Rebels, so well done, Perth. All right, Stephen, my turn. Let's head up to Suncorp Stadium where the Reds hosted uh, the Brumbies in the, the rematch to that first round uh, performance, or second round, I should say where the Reds got up in Canberra, and the, t- the tables are obviously turned this time. Brumby's getting up 23-20, and what an interesting game. I, I thought the first half, and maybe it was just because we were losing, 
was actually pretty dull. You know, I was overly impressed with it. I um, more so the Reds' performance. They um, I thought were diabolical. I thought our execution was so frustrating. How many times? I mean, even from the kickoff, we kicked deep, and I think the Brumbies we kicked straight to a couple of rookies. I think Staniforth and and um, and Smiler on the side. They they both sort of left it and it dribbled back, and White got a quick clearing kick away. But we couldn't. That was the example. That was a chance for us to really sort of exert our pressure and and, 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 and you know make the Brumbies pay and, and we couldn't and that was the story of our first half at least where our execution was just poor we got opportunities and, 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 and couldn't finish them um, a very strong first half from the Brumbies Steve you happy with that performance? Yeah the, the first 40 was very good from a Brumbies perspective um, and then I'm going to throw in the old cliche it was a game of two halves because in the second half they barely had their hands on the ball and only had the three points to their name and just absorbed a lot of uh, pressure and um, from the Reds. And you know, if the Reds can hang on to the ball for more than 40 minutes a game, they, they'll, they'll win. But um, you know, they just chased it, left it too late, I think. Oh, there's no doubt. They didn't back themselves. And I think what they did is they played tighter. They, re- they realised the, the backs weren't doing much and they couldn't get the ball over the line. Well, they could get it over the line a couple of times. They couldn't get it down uh, on the on the... In the try uh, on the try line, um, with Quaid and, and Rocket Rod uh, blowing a couple of chances, but they just played in the end. Mm. Um, you know, yeah. the driving mall, which was a great call by Hall, and beautifully executed uh, uh, quick line out and for the try, and then obviously the uh, pushover scrum from uh, with a tight head in the second half. Um, so they played tighter. They played at the forwards. Nice little backline move to get Quaid across the line, but loose carry, one-handed, and um, uh, Joe uh, Tamani, uh, I was about to say Timon there, Joe Tamani um, knocked it out of his hands. So what could have been, could have been, hey? Yeah, you, you go back to that first game in Canberra with Lockie Turner was the difference yeah. in terms of saving a try and scoring one, and you could say that Joe Tamani was the difference in this one, scoring one himself and uh, denying Quaid there as well. And he also, uh, I think, had to tackle on Davies to drop the ball, knock the ball out there as well. So. He did. He, I thought he had a, probably his best game of the season, to be honest. I thought he played very well. So, yep, that was yeah. a fair call. Um, yeah, so for the Reds, uh, it was is disappointing. We'll, we'll talk about the controversy in terms of the disallowed Will Guinea try and the Steve Moore uh, punch. On to Ed Quirk. It was a tap. Uh, it was a tap. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this is this has been discussed all in sundry. I think people are getting quite sick of it, but it was obviously a significant point of the game. Um, it could have been a turning point. I think it was a turning point somewhat. I think it um, it got the Reds uh, fired up a little bit more. And I think I think it was about 10, 15 minutes after that we scored our our scrum try. But um, geez, I, I was when I saw the replay and saw I saw the punch early, and I saw the replay and saw Will dive over. For the try, I thought best case scenario, this is awesome. We've got the try. They're down more for ten minutes at least. What a moment for us! And uh, everything was denied. I was devastated. Yeah, I have to say I was uh, not surprised that the try was disallowed, but I was very surprised that there was nothing more said or even done about to Stephen Moore about the the punch. Um, and uh, where I was sitting, which was at Suncorp in the rafters, there was some uh, good advice handed out to <laughs> both uh, Steve Moore and Steve Walsh about their performances at that point in the game. And I was hoping to make a, a hasty exit after that. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and harsh on Walsh. I thought Walsh had a good game, to be quite fair. I thought he um, refed pretty damn well. Um, I'm, I'm still uh, of a differing opinion of that moment, but um, 
you know, happy to let bygones be bygones. Well, I'm not. I'm okay, not. I'm going to come in. I'm going to come in. I'm going to come in there. I'm just going to say I thought, as an ex-flanker, like when I saw, uh, was it uh, is it Scott Fugalista? I think a few weeks ago got a yellow card yep. as as he was being held into a scrum, and he whacked the guy's arm twice. Uh, I can't. It was a Saffir, I think. Was it the Cheetah's uh, game? I think Cheetah, right? Yeah. Still, the guy still wouldn't let go of him, and so you know he he escalated, and and the ref was doing nothing. The ref was doing nothing. The touchy was doing nothing. He escalated, and the only thing that happens there, he gets he get not only did he get pinged, he got yellow card. I thought that was outrageous because the ref was going to do nothing until that incident happened. So you know, so now Steve Walsh goes, well, hang on a minute, you've got somebody obstructing somebody else. He, now, and here's the thing. This is where the Queensland, you know, haze has descended on a few people, saying, oh, you know, he attacked this man. It's a one-punch thing, da 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 He whacked him twice on the arm, which is a pretty clear sign to let me the F go, all right? So I'm not attached to the, to the mall anymore. Let me go. I need to defend down this side unless you're going to kind of, you know, keep obstructing me. And then so he, so he let loose with another haymaker. Um, and at that point, da, 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 da. so I thought Steve Walsh actually, I loved it. He kind of said, well, when I look at it, yeah, he was held back. Did he throw something? Yes, he did. Wish wash. Comes back at your penalty anyway. I mean, you know, I was, I was kind of happy with that. You know, I, I thought I, at the end of the day, I thought it worked out okay. Um, and everyone's gone off about this. It's an instant yellow. Nowhere does it say it's an instant yellow. It's an instant penalty. Penalty, yeah. It is not an instant yellow. So there's been a lot of froth coming from north of the Tweed about all this sort of stuff, you know, as soon as someone punches someone, they're off. They're not. Yeah, that's I thought just, there was an interpretation that, ruling that came out early about, I don't know, yeah. this year or last year, that any anything thrown was to be carded. Yeah. Well, I think it might have been even earlier than that. I think right. you might be okay, right. Yeah. But I, but it, it's not actually in the laws, right? Yeah, so no, absolutely. Steve, yep. Steve Walsh is well within his rights to say, no, 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 I need to penalise him. So that, but, you know, da, 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 therefore we go back for the penalty. So, I, yeah, I just, anyway, I, I actually thought that the way he, you know, he, I thought the way he juggled that whole thing was all right. Yeah, I'll dispute your point that, that Moore was just, and look, Quirky's admitted it. Quirky's come out and said he's cost his team a try, um, which he has, because, you know, there's a fair try to Guinea. There's no way Moore was going to tackle Guinea. There's no way McCabe was going to tackle Guinea. Um, it was a clear try, except for the fact that um, Quirky decided to hang on to Moore's jersey for no real reason. Well, we'll never know, would we? Well, you know, we never know. Um, you know, there you go. But uh, yeah, if you're going to hold on to somebody and not let them see where they might have gone, then what are you, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But I mean, I, I, you know, as an addendum to that, um, uh, Lord Laurie Fisher's, um, you know, with our wanted poster. Uh, he, he, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, he cracked up about that. He said he thought that was hilarious. Um, and then he handled a few. Uh, uh, there's a couple, warriors. Yeah, a couple of Queenslanders had a go at him. Um, uh, Bigsy Kenway, who's probably listening to this right now, had a bit of a pop, and Lord Laurie came back, which was good to see. Yeah, okay, I'll have to track that back. But uh, Laurie was all a little bit high and mighty after the game about it too. So that is his want. He'll just remember where he went to university as a Queenslander back then. So deep down. Um, but I tell you what, I, I was surprised though. The thing I was surprised by was that with this no sighting. That surprised me. Yeah, yeah. That happened pretty quickly, too. Um, oh, well, look, from the Reds' performance, again, a, a frustrating effort. I think it's our third loss by three points. It's the first time that we've lost four in a row 
since 2009 in a season, um, which was obviously Phil Mooney's last year. I'm not True. saying that's foreseeing anything, but it's it's been a while since we've had that sort of run of losses, um, which, as you have mentioned, Gags, we are not taking too well up here in Queensland. Mm. It's just not... I mean, you know, you don't wish that... So, look, I didn't start Green and Gold Rugby as a, you know, as a website to see anyone not do well, right? This is all about all of Australian rugby doing well, so I don't say this from that thing. But you just look at it at the moment, you go, oh, this could go really wrong for the Reds, couldn't it, this, this season? I mean, they they really need to turn it around now. It just feels like there's a bit of a slide happening, um, which I hope doesn't happen. I hope they turn it all around and, you know, make, you know, threaten the finals, but it's just not feeling good right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have anything to counter that. I've got that feeling too. I think you know, we've we're still it's just the backs. They just frustrate the hell out of me, mate. They just don't look like they they're gonna do anything. Um, I think we need to get Chris, uh, you know, Sua Satua into the centres because he looked good on the wing, but he doesn't go looking for that ball. And we've just got to get him close to the action. And look, there's everything we can do. Rocket played well. He's still, um, uh, you know, ran I think the most metres or close to it and, and beat the mo- most defenders. But then comes up with those two bonehead plays of dropping the ball over the line with a soft carry and that bloody mm. ridiculous tackle. Um, yeah, on was Tamua. It, was it Mogul? Was it Tamua? Was it... Tamua, yeah. Without he, even looking, it was just ludicrous. Yeah, well, you compare that tackle to uh, last week's yeah, game. Jonah, Jonah Plass, Plass, yeah. He had all eyes for the ball, but you look at the replay of this uh, Tamua one, he was looking right at Tamua the whole way, never looked up once. Yeah. So even... I might just throw it in. Even that could have been a yellow. Oh, mate, I, I, no, I expected it to be a yellow at the time. So, anyway, but can we talk about the pushover scrum? No, look, not relevant. <laughs> yeah. Well, can we, can we fail, stay on that scrum for a bit, though? How did the Brumbury scrum change so dramatically from one half to another? Yeah, that was a big, big, uh, big change, wasn't it? Oh, well, and it's a problem for the Brumbies, right? Because the game that they've developed depends on it so much now. You know, it's a, it's a well, it's generated two penalty tries and it generates a hell of a lot of um, penalties. And for it to actually go the completely the other way, it was, uh, yeah, a bit of a shocker. Yeah, well, that... yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, this, even with the scrums in that match, there were a lot of resets and no one could really get any sort of upper hand in that area. And even, even with the Waratahs Force game this weekend, the referees were big on being stable uh, before the feed. And I think the penalty the Brumbies received in the second half, you know, Steve Walsh was pretty clear that the, the balls are not fed and there's too much work being done from the Reds. And then the next scrum, they'll penalise, and that was the only points the Brumbies scored. So I don't know what, if it's a thing they're cracking down on now or they just, it just was more obvious because um, just a derby game, I don't know. Yeah, with, with uh, when we had uh, Benny Alexander on last week, he said that was a big, big focus of the the Brumbies and, and what they had been told was about that, that being stationed after the hit and, and the umpires, re- so the referees really uh, cracking down on that part. And, and just on that scrum, can anyone remember another tight head pushover? No, it's absolutely no. No, I, I think uh, James Hall made the point. Yeah, it was a, it was an amazing thing to watch, and and, and I think yeah. It, it turned the, head, the game on its head, obviously, and then almost got the Reds back in and, and got the win. Yeah. Um, j- just on the Reds, I think there was there was a point. I think it was about the 60th minute, which I think sums up the Reds this season. And in, in, in that game, it, it was about 60 minutes in, and and they they had, uh, hit it up about 30, 40 meters. They got to the 20, 22, and there was about nine phases into the play, and, and the players looked up, and and you could throw a blanket over the entire 15, and they're all just standing right next to the ruck or on the ground, and. And, and Quay, uh, so, and Genia 
looked up from the ruck and, and there was no he had no back line and he had Quade Cooper standing behind him, directly behind him. He just popped the ball to, to Quade Cooper and, and, and he was Wadalunga to it. He, he stepped and, and lost the ball. And I think that sort of typifies the, the Reds this year. They sort of they, they do all the work and then they sort of run out of ideas at the end and, 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 and turn the ball over and, and can't capitalise on, on all the hard work that they've done previously. Yeah, there's no doubt. Look, I wanted to make mention of James Slipper. Um, I thought Slipper was fantastic this game. There's a stage early on. I remember being at Lang Park, as it used to be known, back when Alfie Lang was playing State of Origin and what to get the crowd going. He'd run up and he'd make three or four tackles in a row and I mean, he's 80 kilograms. James Slipper's 115, 118 or something like that. And he Slipper did that at the start of the game. It was just remarkable. There's a stage there where he made four tackles in a row. Some were big driving tackles on the centres. Some were more cover defending tackles on the wingers. Some were traditional straight up in the forwards. Um, but I, I just think Slip is one of the Reds that can really hold his head high and, and obviously was strong in the scrums as we saw in that second half. But he was, uh, I thought, remarkable on uh, last weekend. Um, and we just need more of his team to stand up with him. Yeah, I agree. Just... Having seen seeing him there, he was uh, in front of the others by quite a bit, I'd imagine. Yeah. Just going back to the Brumbies, I guess, probably a question for you, Steve. Do the Brumbies have a problem with their second half and their closing out the game? It's probably, I think probably the second or third time now that they've nearly given away that, that half-time lead, which they, they jump out of the box and get that lead and then come out after half-time and seem to, to switch off. And I think they did give it away to the to the Rebels, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, it's funny you mentioned it. I was thinking the exact same thing uh, earlier this week. There's been a few games this year where they've got uh, well ahead and then just sort of slipped into a bit of a comfort zone or trying to rely too much on the game plan from last year. We're pressuring the teams and just grinding them out um, I think so. You look at this year; they had three tries by 20 minutes against the Force over in Perth, and then didn't add to that. Uh, the fade out against the Rebels, uh, even against the Waratahs at home, where they just snuck home there after having a, I think it was a 16 point lead at one stage. So I'm not sure whether it's the change in conditioning coach from Dean Benton to Damien Marsh. I'm not quite sure what that is, but it is starting to become a little bit obvious and. Uh, there's some big big games coming up for them that they'll need to tighten up in that area. Otherwise, uh, they'll get run down and even just lack of four try bonus points as well. I hope doesn't come back and get them in the end because they did have you know, equal wins I think at one stage, and the Waratahs had played one game less and were just around the same points total. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, and you, the, the bench too I think plays a factor in that. You know, I've, I've said it and it's. No disrespect to the Brumbies, I don't think the quality's on their bench, and they've suffered more injuries so far this year, and, and it's it's that that depth is being stretched even further. So uh, we'll, we'll see if they can turn that around. Look, we're going to move on to the next game uh, there, uh, which is uh, the next relevant game from an Australian perspective, was when the Rebels uh, took on the Chiefs um, over there uh, in New Zealand and went down 22-16. Now this is an interesting game. The the Chiefs got off to a bit of a flyer and and was leading 19-6 at half-time, but I think it was even you know that after about 20-30 minutes and and uh, were effectively all over the Rebels. The Rebels came back early in the second half there. Japanese hooker Horia scored a try look, only a few minutes into that second half, um, and, and they scored, scored a few penalties through uh, Woodward there and, and uh, looks to be back in the game well and truly, but the Chiefs held on and, and, and got the win there. Um, so, what do you think, Matt? Do you see this game? Yeah, I did, mate. And uh, I, I thought it was. I just 
I thought it was great the way the Rebels hang, hang on, uh, hung on in there. You know, they were within like a try-ish for most of that game and actually came back stronger in the second half. And I think they forced the, uh, you know, the Chiefs to sort of say, yeah, we, we took them too lightly. Um, you know, they, they, you know, they did the little things right and, you know, having Woodward there, you know, to slot the goals. Uh, I think he missed just one critical one at the end, but, you know, he managed, he managed to keep them in there, you know, most of the time so they could play that pressuring game. Um, I know you guys were giving you guys were giving big raps to um, uh, Sturzaka. Yeah, well, and and I thought also, and I you know I know he's, it is grin and gold rugby's own Luke Burgess, but I thought the difference he made in that second half was really was palpable, um, and um, you know just his running game. I think he almost set up a try in his own. Um, you know, that just made a massive... All of a sudden, there's a big threat around the ruck, which which there wasn't before. He does have a box kick, which he's developed in France. We He didn't quite have that before, but, you know, that's got better. So, anyway, I thought he made a massive difference to the game. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought, uh, yeah, just, you know, top marks to the Rebels to being able to stay that close to a, to a team that, 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 that is that good at home. Um, you know, it was... It was and... and you would have had to say they had the ascendancy towards the end. It was it was a pretty they couldn't um, have another boil over. Yeah, absolutely. They, they had their chances. Uh, the Chiefs had uh, I think one of their reserves, uh, Sin Bin Manu, with about five to go, and they're pressing the line, and they just the Rebels had their shot to to, to close out the game or, or take the game, and they couldn't quite do it. But you make a good point about Burgess. To be fair, I think he was playing good footy before he was benched for Sturzaka. Um, I was surprised he was, and yeah, Sturzaka mm. played a couple of games, but um, Burgess was definitely playing good footy. Yeah, uh, back at the start of the season, there's no reason why I shouldn't still be playing it. So it'll be interesting. I don't think they've named the teams for this week, but it'll be interesting to see how they handle that um, this weekend. Indeed. All right. Who, who, Sorry. I was just going to ask who they got. Who have they got this week? Mm. Is that a, is that a segue? <laughs> yeah, is that a segue? Let's move yeah. on to it. Um, so that wraps up the round, round nine this weekend. Uh, let's quickly go. The Hurricanes playing the Blues, but the Friday night we've got the Rebels are playing the Force. Down there at Amy uh-huh. Park. Um, wow, uh, uh, Ben. What do you think, mate? You guys, a uh, few injuries after the last couple of weeks. Can you talk us through who's out for this game? Yeah, they haven't named a, a side yet, but um, going by the reports, looks like uh, Alvin Matthewson uh, has been ruled out um, with an ankle injury. So you'd expect Ian Pryor to come in to start, um, and then also on the bench that would then bring in opportunity for uh, Justin Turner. Uh, the WA lad uh, who's had a terrible run with injuries should come onto the bench. Um, so it's good to see him back. Uh, and then also uh, Luke Moraghan looks to have uh, done his hammy. So he, he looks to be out for a few. Um, so he'll, he'll miss and then I'm not sure how they'll restructure that. Um, and then you, they're, they're also monitoring uh, Peck, Cowan and uh, Sam Wikes. So, um, yeah, the, the, the Tars game, I think it, it, it might have come at a cost with all these players. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the reserves um, step up uh, against the Rebels this week, who are, who are, again, coming off those tough tough tour to tough games in New Zealand, and they now want to make amends in front of their, their big home crowd on uh, Good Friday. I think they've got a, a, a charity appeal going with the... Uh, you buy a $20 ticket and then you get a teddy bear for... Uh, for I can't remember what charity it was, but, yeah, so it's, it's going to be a... a a big game. Interesting to note that if, if the Force do win, um, they'll they'll be in first place. Uh, they'll they'll jump the, t- the the Brumbies who've got the bye, and uh, and they'll be first place on the Australian Conference, which would be the very first and first time. And, and I don't think anyone would have ever expected that had to happen. <laughs> that, wow, that's remarkable. Uh, just that charity. I think it's uh, 
joining force with the kids, so it's um, a, a Bonds promotion. But yeah, absolutely, the, the uh, one of those uh, children's charities, but a great cause, and hopefully we'll draw a crowd there. But that's remarkable, Gaffer. You'd be on top of the ladder after this round, hopefully. Albeit you've got some hurdles to jump over there with those injuries. Um, and, you know, we'll see how the Rebels come back, as, as Gags pointed out. They didn't play too badly versus the Chiefs, and they should, should take something out of that. So this should be an almighty game down there in, in Melbourne on uh, on Friday night. Gags, what do you reckon? Oh, it's, it's a hard one to pick, though. Um, but, you know, at the moment, I, I'd even go with the... I'd go with the force, you know? I just think... Um... Jeez, their defence has been so good. Ah, oh, you know, they've got these injuries. It's, it's not no, easy, the, is it? Yeah. Uh, the extent of those injuries yeah. is my biggest concern now. I wasn't... Yeah. And the Rebs can be really good at home, can't they? They get the crowd behind them. They get that... Really get their attack going. Yeah, it's going to be a hard one for the Force, yeah. isn't it? Um, probably have to shade the Rebels now that I really think about it. But, oh, that, that story is alive for the Force, yeah. I reckon. What about you, Steve? What do you reckon? Well, I'm just going to get a flip yeah. a coin and see what it comes up with there, I think. Yeah. So, um, for, you know, the force has a bit of the feel-good story for the competition at the moment. Uh, it'd be good for them to get that sixth win in a row. But the, the Rebels were pretty close over in New Zealand and against some, um, you know, against the Chiefs, they're not exactly soft opposition. So as long as uh, Tony McGann doesn't make six changes again, I think they, uh, <laughs> they could be in with a good shout here. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens with the Rebels. I'm going to tip the force... Uh, just for that reason, I'd love to see them on top of the ladder, but uh, it will be a crack. It will be a close one. Uh, the next one, the only other Aussie game team appearing is the Waratahs taking on the Bulls in Sydney there. Yeah. Um, the Waratahs has been named. Israel's been named at fullback. I think he's actually even been cleared by the AAU to play, I believe. Uh, so that's got to be a good good sign for the Waratahs, Gags. Mate, this is this is the put your joker on this one. <laughs> uh, this week, this is... This is this... This is the shoe-in. Uh, yeah, we got Izzy back, um, and yeah, I, I just the, the rocket that would have got up the team. Hopefully this week, uh, we'll see us home. So yeah, I'll be there watching in person. Get yourselves down there as well. So uh, I must. I've just got to mention there's a, there's a pretty good deal going uh, from the Tars. I think it's like forty bucks for a family or something right. crazy. Anyway, go go and have a look. But uh, yeah, get get yourself along. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I I think the the Waratahs. I mean the Bulls. Uh, travel, they're not doing well this year anyway, and they're travelling pretty badly. Didn't they win last? They lost last week against the Highlanders, right? Um, so yeah, I think uh, we, yeah we should be in yep. there. I'm the same. I think the Tars will do this. I think they'll bounce back um, well in this game, and I, I, I'm reasonably confident of a fairly dominant performance there. Uh, ben, see this any differently? Yeah, I, uh, I'll be watching very intently, obviously, with the force uh, up against the Bulls next week um, and, and hoping that the Tars can do a bit of a job on them and bash them around and, and uh, hopefully they'll end up in Perth all bruised and battered. So, yeah, I'll be going for the Tars this week. And I think, uh, I think Israel Folau back, that's just massive for them and, and we know that their game really sort of hinges on him um, and I think they'll just be way too strong and, and they'll get up um, with a pretty, pretty big win, I, I reckon. Yeah, and what about you, Steve? Yeah, I think the the Bulls have got too many injuries and playing pretty ordinarily. So I think the Tars will get this one and back at Fortress Alliance. Absolutely, and and that wraps it up. We won't go into the other teams. We don't really care about them. The Reds and the Brum- Reds and the Brumbies have got the bye this week. Thank God for the Reds. We'll see if we get a few guys back on the field. But that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, worth noting the uh, the AU have released the schedule for the uh, end of season tour. 
Uh, we're playing uh, in no particular order. I know we start the tour with a game versus the Barbarians, but we take on England, Ireland, Wales and France. Uh, five games throughout the five weeks, which should be a pretty cracking tour, don't you think, guys? Sounds good. And uh, that's pretty much it for us, unless anyone's got anything else to add. Matt, thanks for your... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, mate, I was just going to... little announcement is... Um, We've been doing. We started doing something in the forums now, where uh, what we think is that if you've got a rugby club, say a Subbies rugby club, or let's say you're some Alicadu from either like a Shoot Shield or Brisbane Premier or a, a Country Rugby Club, or let's say you're even running one of the NRC teams, Green and Gold Rugby will give you your own forum for free to put in what you want. So what that means is, for example. You know, rather than having a bunch of people who can't get access to the back end of whatever stupid, you know, CMS or website system you've got, you'll be able to just go in there to your forum and say, look, I want to start a thread about the uh, under 10s. And you could just put whatever you want in there. Or you could say, I want to start a thread about the sausage sizzle rater. Or I want to put in the results for the first. Whatever it is for your club, you can do it easily for there for free. People can come along, talk, throw comments in. You know, it's a good old forum. So anyway, we've opened that up. So whether you're subbies, whether you're um, a premier grade, whether you're NRC, it's in there. Just get in contact. Um, just go to the, you know, the right place and you can get it going. And you know why should you do that rather than doing it on your own website is because it's a bit like starting a concession at a department store versus trying to set up your own store somewhere where no one goes. Yeah. Well, I'm ta- you know, lots of people come to Green and Gold Rugby already looking at rugby. You want people coming to talk and look at your site, and um, you know that's what they'll do. So, anyway, a chance, a chance to engage with different market too, isn't it? As opposed to the usual players and members, it's a chance to get some different people. Yeah. I know there's a lot of cl- or a number of clubs have already taken up the opportunity. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's a great, great initiative. Yeah, and and to be honest, there's yeah, from us from a commercial point of view, there's not much if anything in it, but it'd be great to have everybody, you know, in the same. And players, um, you know, talking. So anyway, go, go and have a look. Excellent. All right, lads. Well, thanks very much for your time tonight, Steve and Ben and, and Matt. Uh, good chatting to you once again. Yeah. Good to be back on, mate. All right, buddies, and we'll uh, see you guys all next week. Guys, enjoy your rugby this weekend. Have a happy Easter, and we'll speak to you very soon. Yeah, right there, right there.